0: guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. I am very proud and honored today to interview Stefan Neff. No, I haven't lost my marbles. Nope. I actually have got on the other line here, Stefan Neff. Friend of mine tried to look me up and said, Did you know there's another dude out there who is talking alcohol? I said, What? And yeah, and it turns out, indeed, there are two Stefan nefs. We are both, what shall I call us? Uh, brothers, uh, brothers in arms, I guess is the right word, because we both have a passion that comes from. Having lived a life that maybe was not so great, and nowadays we both uh, are fighting the same battles in the sense of we are there for others, we are trying to change lives, and it's an absolute honor for me to have you, Stefan, on my show, Stefan Neff, all the way from Canada. Awesome, Sobriety Brothers. Yeah, exactly, brothers in arms oh, well. in the best possible way, isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, it was nice, nice to see you. Nice to see you again.
0: Yeah, oh, another brother
1: you. from a different mother. <laughs> exactly.
0: But isn't it intriguing that uh, here we are? The only, the only thing that we have got in common happens to be our skin color. And apart from that, you are, it's just your background is different, completely different than mine, your upbringing, all the kind of things. There's nothing much the same, yet here we are. We It just shows how alcohol is, is transcending all kind of barriers, all kind of countries, all kind of... It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Alcohol is a poison that dissolves perfectly uh, relationships bank accounts and lives man so Stefan uh, thank you so much and I have got a bit of a head start here because I have read Stefan's book we are both authors and Stefan has equally put his experiences in in writing and it is actually a very, very good book to read. So guys uh, go out there, uh, buy a copy and and see how his life panned out. But in a nutshell, how was your love affair with alcohol? When did it wow. start? Well, thanks for asking, great question.
1: Um, it goes back from when I was three years old. Yes, three years old. You know, but, uh, you know, sometimes my parents made uh, dandelion wine or homemade grape wine. And I would, special occasions, I would take it off the, off the table. My mom would, be, uh, would pour herself a glass and I would be taking it off the table. Um, and it's funny to say, my dad never drank alcohol, but it was my mom. So one day I drank too much. And the feeling I got, even at three years old, I ended up passing out in the old wood box near the fireplace. And my parents found, that, found me you know, tucked away in a little ball uh, in, in the fetal position, uh, actually drunk. So that was my first experience uh, of, of alcohol. And, and from that point on, uh, it, it wasn't a chronic thing from that, that, that early age, um, I would say it really started when I was about 12 or 13 years old, really started to really be chronic. Hmm.
0: Was there anything that triggered you then? Or was it part of growing up and trying to be a man and trying to to uh, leave your mark and, and, and being... Being the man, I mean, we both are about the same age. Uh, certainly, uh, in the seventies, eighties, drinking was normal, and it was all a part and parcel. You grew up with alcohol. Was that the same with you?
1: Well, with me, I, it was. I loved the taste of this, this tangy taste, and my mom always, always said to me, "You can't drink pop." And only in special occasions. So something fizzy or something had a different taste to it than just water or milk. Because we lived on a dairy farm. So we drank a lot of milk, a lot of milk. And so, it was, so when my mom always said, no, you can't, I always leaned towards what I could not
0: have. <laughs> well oh, that's 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 that, that's fate isn't it? We all are the same thing <laughs> even in as grown ups no you're not allowed. Do not <laughs> think about chuckling chainsaws. hmm, I really wonder how it would be to chuckle chainsaws you know that's us. we are stupid human beings. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so yeah, so that's when it started.
0: Yeah. Out of interest though, um yeah. at 12 years of age, you have trouble walking in and off-license and getting the alcohol. How did you how did you procure your uh goodies?
1: Well, you know I had an older brother. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and he was uh he was 5 years older and mm. he also had a very heavy drinking um even at a very young age. Uh, mm. So he was able to get it from his older friends. Mm. And then I would nip it from him. Neighbors too, as well. Like I said, my parents, you know, my dad loved making the wine, but he didn't drink it. So he made Dandelion wine. Mm. And so it was in the cellar. The neighbors had their own wine in the cellar. So uh, I would go to sneak over to the neighbors and they had the, you know, the <laughs> siphoning things. And I would fill up a, 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 a bottle and, and then that would be my, my weekend, uh, two bottles of wine for the weekend, Saturday or sorry, a Friday night and a Saturday.
0: So. Oh goodness, goodness, goodness! A fair call, but and initially our bodies can sort of roll with the punches. Uh, it's okay. There is not too much harm done. Yeah, you get a bit of hangover and you get on with your day. Uh, did the change at some stage, or how? How was your? How was the feeling the next day for you?
1: Oh yeah, I wasn't, like, I would have a headache. Um, you know, my mom would uh, dump water on my, on my head. It's time to go, you know, weed the garden and, uh, and I would be sleeping away and she didn't know why, of course, you know, cause I, you know, hit it quite well. Um, so yeah, it, you know, that's when the hangers, you know, the hangover started. I didn't drink every day. So it was like a weekend thing. That's when it started. Um, you know, we can go into when it's later in you know later in life after after the progressed, I guess you would say, mm. in my uh late teens or early twenties. But you know, from alcohol came marijuana. So marijuana started about a year later. So at 13 years old, I started smoking marijuana. Mm. So I had two, two addictives, um, you know, uh, addictions mm. and then cigarettes. So I had cigarette smoking at the same time marijuana and alcohol. So all three of them were, were on my list of number one values. <laughs>
0: <laughs> number one values, you, you put it so nicely, isn't it? Because really, you're, you, you think of nothing else, isn't it? It has become sort of an all-encompassing uh, kind of thing you you, there's always either you think about it or you you try to hide that you're doing it or you hide the consequences so yeah sometimes it thinks when you think back it's sort of 80% of your day seems to be sort of somehow linked to the alcohol in one way or the other or to to drugs and it's just yeah how bizarre how our brain hates punishment and pain and yearns for that dopamine response, for this. Oh yes, the the uh, the release, the relief. Yep. Did you change? Were you a happy drunk? Uh,
1: yeah. You know what? I was actually. Actually, I was. Um, maybe not when I was on the harder drugs. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, it, it wasn't those three that I was doing. and you know, I experimented in different other drugs. But yes, I, you know, I was. I wasn't a mean person. Um, I, I was very blessed in the fact that I was watching my older brother being mean. He was a mean, he was very mean because he used to, you know, uh, drink and then beat us up and then use us as punching bags. So I watched him, uh, be quite belligerent towards people. So mm. for whatever reason, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like that. So I was, you know, of course, blessed that I wasn't like that, but I still had the, uh, the, the drinking issue.
0: How long were you in the throes of addiction? I mean, you started very young, you started 12, 13 to really play seriously with it. And then it became your false friend for how long?
1: Well, really started like uh, at the age of when I got out of high school, 19, mm. I started to drink every day. So every day uh, until until I was 45. 46 years old, actually. 46 years old. Uh, and then so you're looking at uh, 26 years, hmm. if I'm correct. <laughs> My math, then
0: uh, uh, and, and and you know, you're not the, the first one, you won't be the only one. That is often something that happens, and especially the younger you start, the more we know that there is a risk that you indeed and get very much addicted to those things so there is there are actually nowadays some health experts who recommend that the drinking age should be increased to 25 Because there seems to be sort of a magical uh, cutoff there. If you start drinking seriously less than 25, the younger you are, the more likely you become addicted. Whilst if you start seriously drinking after 25, it's actually not such a huge issue. So it's intriguing how the young mind and the the young brain is so susceptible to it,
1: isn't it? Yep, absolutely. So a lot of times I was drinking to hide my pains. That was most of my, uh, not in the beginning because the beginning was for pleasure, and that was my pleasure brain. But later in life, it did it didn't. Uh, I didn't get pleasure from it, from the alcohol. I I used it to mask a lot of my, you know, past pains and you know present pains and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, at a very young age, you know, that was at 19. I had internal pains. So yeah. Mask. It's like putting a mask on, but the mask never worked.
0: But it it gives us this this feeling that somehow we are in control. That's the bizarre thing. If you you look at at alcohol in its own right, 95% of those who are drinking dangerously would swear hand on heart. They have no problem with it. So it's this kind of denial that goes along with with our alcohol, where we try to live our lives in such a way that it all makes sense to us. Oh, of course I'm drinking, but because I'm so much in stress, look what they do to me. Therefore, I, I've deserved to drink tonight. I'm not in pain, but oh, look today, Rachmaninoff's birthday. <laughs> so we need to celebrate Rachmaninoff. I've never listened to him. I don't care. We celebrate. <laughs> today is just a nice, relaxed day. Oh, that's fine. Let's relax with a glass of wine before breakfast. Mm. Ah, Hang on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Uh, you get the idea. <laughs> we uh, are. So, so I'm, I'm pleased that that, yeah. I mean, like like you, pain was the driver for me uh, towards the later years. But it was also the, it was an intriguing one because I never learned to deal with my emotions. I never ever had the emotional maturity that I have got now that I've learned in my rehab, and that that I've cultivated in the last seven years. Prior to that god it is it was there was so much going on in my heart and in my brain that was not nice and of course lots of lots of shit happens to you in your life uh many of the things not so nice as i said and ptsd depression anxiety they are they unfortunately they can become pretty good friends to you same with you yep absolutely is um
1: so mine was, for example, exactly very similar to yours was, uh, was the internal pains. You know, I had a fairly good childhood. If you would say, you know, I, you know, I lived on a dairy farm and I had chickens and dogs and pets and everything else. Um, but as I, as you said, my father said to me, and he showed that he never showed any emotion. He never shared any of his uh caring ways it was always why are you doing this and why why can't you do the right thing or why are you why are you making so many mistakes so so many different things so throughout my whole life it was like i never really knew how to show and i didn't actually truly i didn't want to show my my emotions it took me years and years and years up until the last five years since i was you know 45 years old before I started to release my addictive behaviors as I really started to share. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I think so. I could start to share my feelings more.
0: And then there was a deal with him.
1: Oh, the weight, you know, the weight off my shoulders, it's like a, I was carrying a, a, a thousand pound uh, rock on top of my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I started chipping away on it. It means chipping away means sharing my emotions mm-hmm. and sharing my feelings and all of a sudden all of a sudden I, I ended up with a little bit of dust on there there's still dust there and there's still sometimes rocks there you know but you still have to once you start sharing all of a sudden your 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 mind your body just this euphoric feeling comes over you when you start to release your your feelings and start sharing with people
0: isn't it that- ah. Because we are hiding, as alcoholics, we are hiding. We spent a life of hiding away. You said it a few times in little side sentences. You hit it all so well, was your literal words, and that's exactly the life of an alcoholic. My and for me it was weird when I was in rehab and the first few times that I spelled the words out. Hello, I'm Stefan. I'm an alcoholic. Have us weird there was a huge roller coaster of emotions attached to that from initially guilt and shame and think oh my god what will people think of me to suddenly everyone else saying yeah i i'm I'm, tom i'm an alcoholic and yes i've been shooting up crack and did whatever and you think oh okay i'm not alone and suddenly that was such a revelation to actually being able to speak out and have no repercussions of it. On the contrary, you get a pat on the back for speaking out. And that was so beautiful. That was such a relief to to be finally able to confront what I was hiding. Because ultimately, we are all not stupid. Of course, you know, deep inside that maybe your two bottles of vodka over the weekend are not normal, and, and however many friends you Built around yourself who are all drinking more than you, so it doesn't look too bad. Um, yes, yeah, still something tells you that maybe. Hmm. Yes, so there you go freedom. Yeah. And it's just crazy because, I mean, both of our timelines are actually not so dissimilar. Um, although I did uh, start much later than you, certainly not age-free. Um, but uh, there's, still, the, the end result was very similar. And also the, the time frame that sort of around about seven years ago for me and, and five, six years ago for you, something happened. What happened? What happened in your case?
1: Oh well, you know, it was about seven years ago. I, um, and I said to my wife, "Okay, I'll stop drinking. I'll, I'll stop drinking," and she got you know she gave me an ultimatum, uh, and it lasted for three months, and then I relapsed. And it's so funny because I told her, you know, I'll drink non-alcoholic beer. And so I, I went and bought the non, you know, the non-alcoholic beer. Then I started to replace it. I wouldn't bought real beer and then replaced it with, with non you know, so then in the fridge I matched it. You, exact, you know, you so, you but, but then it really started to come into fruition. Well, five years ago, she shared with me, she said, Stefan, you can lie to me. You can lie to your family. You can lie to all your friends. But you cannot lie to yourself, to God, universe, whoever, whatever you believe in. So now it's your choice. And she said to me, I'm going to be happy no matter what, if you're in my life or not. Make your choice. If you want to drink, don't come home. 24 hours later, I completely stopped drinking, smoking. Everything was released out of my life. And it was like this uh, epiphany. No more codependency. She didn't need me anymore. She didn't need, need me to chase her anymore because I needed somebody to chase me. I needed love. So it's, it, when I started to share, I found all these different things, why I was drinking and all these things came out. But, but that was the moment in my life that transformed my life. It was, it, even now gives me emotional emotional feelings because it was very strong and I'm so grateful for her for even having the courage yes the courage to tell me the truth
0: did she tell you the truth before
1: no 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 because she needed me (laughs) she needed me yeah she needed me to be that way and to be the person that hunted that person so that's why the codependency she so she didn't need that need wasn't there anymore. She was okay with herself now.
0: Wow. The, the power of self-love, isn't it? That's what we preach nowadays, that you, that you get to know yourself. Warts and all, the negative feelings, the positive feelings, everything. Because that's what you are. You are full of scars. You have, you have done horrible things, at least what your brain tells you. And some of us have done horrible things. And it's still, it is, it is who you are but it doesn't define you. It is, that was the past. And yeah, you can either use it like a life sentence or you can use it as a lesson. And I guess that's what you did. You turned your life around there. Now, I had the, the benefit of rehab. I had a similar kind of thing. My wife said, look, behind your back, I have enrolled you in a rehab. You have no, no chance. You will go to rehab. And that was on, a I think, Tuesday or Wednesday morning. And Friday, I was in my first day in rehab. And I had the good sense to actually listen to her and admit that I was powerless over my problem and that I needed help. And so I ended up in rehab. And that was huge because they put me into a kind of safe bubble in which I could first fall apart and then re- start rebuilding myself. And that was huge. I don't think I would have had the power or the ability or the the humility to let that happen had I not been in rehab in a, in a inpatient environment. You didn't go that way. How was your way? Well,
1: I- at previous when I was drinking, I was doing personal growth. So I was working on my mindset and, and I was working on my subconscious mind. So for about, you know, about two or three years, we were discussing this. And then I met a mentor that, that really started to sh- share with me what I was creating in my own life. So, and then I was, you know, listening to, you know, audiobooks and, and really getting into the personal growth, but I was still drinking at the time and I had reduced it, but still was drinking every day and still hiding it. So still had an addictive behavior that was beyond imagination of, of really what, what sobriety really is because sobriety for me is 100% abstinence. So. Yeah, so I did have a piece of that. So it was a slow growth of, of really commitment towards changing the way I thought. So that was a, uh, a trigger point, I would say, a real major trigger point. But what I really knew and into my heart was commitment. I was committed to myself now. Hmm. And that's what triggered it off for me, that I was going to do it for myself, nobody else. Hmm
0: you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. That was the moment which really, really brought it home. And we need that catalyst. We need that catalyst, we need that, that point. For some of us, it comes earlier and, and the revelation comes when we are not rock bottom. And those people I do envy because it took rock bottom for me to, to have my eyes opened. And then I suddenly found myself on a journey that is just putting the biggest grin on my face because it is such a beautiful journey. It is such a beautiful path that I now have chosen to follow. And it is, it is beautiful And it's, it, 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 to look you in your eyes and see the smile on your face when you talk about your recovery. It's exactly that. It is, we look like two Cheshire cats here and <laughs> just licking the milk. <laughs> and it is what it is. It is beautiful. Yep. So absolutely. your mentor dragged you along there to a meeting. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: It was actually um uh it was at my mentor's three-day event that I yeah. met somebody that brought me to to an event that I was like um it was it was talking about, it was called Smart Recovery. Uh-huh. So it was all about Cognitive behavior therapy and rational emotive behavior therapy and it was called smart recovery so um, and we started to talk. and I was like I was talking to this like I was talking to you Stefan. it was like a, I was talking to my brother on the same path um so the next day I went to this meeting and i it was it was a three day event that we went to and then the one and we went and I really started to shift I'm like this is really something that I I could really use the tools to help me with some, maybe some of those still urges that still lingered around my addictive behaviors. Mm. And I didn't think I had, but yes, I did. I still Mm. had them. So yeah, I went and I started learning all these tools uh, that really started shifting my mind. And I was like, Oh wow. How can I become a facilitator like the facilitator that I went to? And he Mm. says, well, you go online and you take this, this 36-hour training course, and you can become a facilitator for this nonprofit organization called Smart Recovery. And Stefan, I leaned into it and said, "Yes, I'm going to do this." So I, I become a facilitator for Smart Recovery, cool. and much, much, much more. So I've actually, <laughs> I've, I've gone beyond what this, uh, and that was that was in 2018.
0: And it is it is so bizarre because it is only when we sort of start helping others that you suddenly reevaluate certain things of yourself. You think uh, you've done it all. I mean, uh, I did the 12-step program and I thought, yeah, all done, the ticked. And then last year I started writing my book, writing my journey. And so I went again through the 12 steps, inevitably, because you actually, just everything you write is essentially, uh, especially then if I wrote a book about the 12 steps, inevitably you go through it. And me, there were a few things that were still festering. Yeah, would you believe it? As if I would be a human being, huh? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so it keeps going. And then finally, I've written the book, and I thought, great, and now I've gone again through 12 steps. And guess what? And something new creps up. And it's the same when you start helping others. Their journey suddenly triggers something. Their, their You listening to them can sometimes yeah, trigger the wrong things. Um, there were times when I went to a meeting, and the only thing I could think about of. Crying out loud! The only thing I want now is a drink, because it was so frustrating and was so ah, uh, and the frustration was typically because these were people that never moved beyond step one, two, three. Well, actually, beyond one, shall I say? Because they were basically the the white knuckling kind of guys who go to every single meeting because they know if they don't go, they they fall apart and drink again. Yet. They have not dealt with the resentment, they have not dealt with the fear, etc. So these can be hard, hard times. Now, what I find interesting compared with a 12 step meeting uh, is your different focus. Because from the word go, you focus on tools to recover, you focus on the future. Whilst no doubt that is also happening in, in AA. Uh, or other 12-step like programs, but you guys, that's really your hallmark, isn't it, in smart recovery?
1: Well, yes, because, you know, smart recovery is all based on we can change our thoughts, our feelings, and inevitably we can change the way we behave when it comes to our unwanted addictive behaviors. Mm. So, like, for example, uh, smart recovery started, you know, 25 years ago. And throughout the many years of their, of of their creation, you know, they created a handbook that, and that's what smart recovery is all about is self-management and recovery training. That's why it's self. So they learn the tools. Then they can use the tools when they do have a craving, when they have a negative thought. Mm -hmm. And as a facilitator myself, I train the people, the individuals that have addictive behaviors on how to deal with, their emotions, their cravings, their urges, motivate them for change so they can live a life, like a a balanced lifestyle. So, and so there's, you know, there's many tools that uh, even I even use a tool for not even just for addictive behaviors. I'm using it for a daily basis. Mm. So it's, 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 tools are amazing. So that's (laughs) for me personally, it's just like using a hammer. We all yeah. have, we all have a you know a, a tool chest. Mm-hmm. So you know we have to we have to pull out a hammer for this nail, a screwdriver to turn this. It's the same thing with smart recovery. They pull out a tool for whatever emotional issue that's going on in their life, or whatever situation in their life. The same way
0: so true so true and you're lucky because uh certainly in canada in the united states smart recovery is a thing here in new zealand unfortunately we don't have it as such um although similar things are done in 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 private rehabs um i'm aware of one when i actually looked at what they are doing then that's actually very similar to smart recovery Mm -hmm. so just different focus having said that no doubt one recovery program or the other, it doesn't matter. There is a past, There is there are negative feelings and there are, there are things from the past that you need to deal with. It's, it's, there are some abscesses where you need a knife to drain the past. And if you just think of the future and, and think positive and law of attraction kind of thing, um, that's all quite good, but learning the tools doesn't mean to say that you're all positive and lovely bubbly, uh, but yeah, there are, there are the dark moments in our lives that we need to deal with and either come to terms with them and put them to bed because they have happened and there's nothing we can do about it. But now by living a different life, we can make amends, so to speak. We can change lives from now on forward. Um, Or indeed we can we can do something about the past and heal this way so I I Assume that whilst you're focusing on the future that does not mean to say that the past will not get a say Yep,
1: absolutely. And and what we tell you know what we tell people and that's one of our tools is to is 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 not dwelling on the past, but we tell people we're not therapists Mm. as facilitators. We're not professionals we're just here to teach you the tools If you have some past pain or issue in your own life go to a counselor go to a psychotherapist seek out the professional help because they have the tools to draw out that to help you heal yourself so and we we have some tools that will find some of the little pinpoint issues that are causing some of those um, events in your life causing emotional feelings that you can, you can find the past memory, but it's not to heal that past memory because that takes time. That takes a real professional to work on those.
0: And it, it needs to be done. It is, I mean, that is part of, of step four in a AA program where you do this inventory, where you do look closely at your resentments, your fears, your anger. Where is that coming from? And you write things down, and yes, Joe did that to me, and that's how it made me feel. And okay, and then after a little while, your mentor or your counselor or whoever is assisting you will come back to that list of things that you've written down. You might say, You remember when Joe, when you were so upset about what Joe did to you? Yeah. Can you remember, did you actually do something? What was your role in that? suddenly you might think, hmm, huh, yeah, about that. Um, so it always takes to to tango. And that, is sort of, that is sort of important, important self-development work. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, there's no way that you can love yourself because you're stuck in that resentment and that... that and you know, sometimes anger is really, really helpful and can be good. And sometimes it's so self-destructive. Trust me, I'm a bloody hothead. <laughs> so I know <laughs> I know exactly what anger is. And it, it it ate me up on the inside. And that was one of the driving things for me to drink. Because then after two, three, four glasses of wine, that anger disappeared. And suddenly mm. there was the relaxation there and I thought, Oh, fine. And suddenly I could think of happy things, which yeah.
1: Mm. So
0: it is it is what it is. Yep,
1: absolutely, absolutely. So for example, like, you know, for example, yours was doing the 12-step, and I didn't even know I was using the tools when I was recovering. And so this, the one main tool, if you don't mind, can I share one of the tools that we absolutely, use? Absolutely, please. So I call it the ABCs of Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. So, so A stands for the Activating Event. The B is the belief surrounding the event. And then C is the emotional feeling we get from the event. Then what we do is we take the D, we dispute it. So we irrationally, we ask ourselves, is it rational or irrational? Mm -hmm. What we are thinking about the event and how our belief system. Then we, E, we effectively change means now we're going to look and digest and see what is the emotional feeling? Is it real? Mm. Is it true? Is that event? Did that person hurt me or was it my belief surrounding the event? So then we effectively change it. That person may have just been upset that day or they just didn't see me when they were cutting me off on the road, driving down the road. They were just la, 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 la. And so we effectively change that that belief we have surrounding the event. Mm. So there's different ways of uh, really rolling that out. And that was the simplest way that I could, that I could, uh, um, that I use, I use this on a daily basis. Mm. Stefan, I use this um, and I could share so many times that I've been using this now. It's just like, all of a sudden it's just, it's just, I roll it through. Um, So once people really start to understand this tool, they can really change their state of mind and their emotional feelings.
0: And isn't it amazing that it is like a muscle memory? So the more you do the workout, the more your body realizes exactly what it is doing. That is why soldiers practice the drawing of the pistol or putting the, the rifle exactly in the right place again and again and again until it's all pure muscle memory. Guess what? You can do exactly the same with coping mechanisms and with with tools, as you call them, and suddenly it becomes so quick. It becomes lightning fast. Happened to me this morning. I drove to work, and for one reason or the other, I was 10 minutes later than usual, maybe 12 minutes later. So suddenly, instead of all the guys who have the same mindset as me, go fast, smooth, know the corners, know everything. We get to work in no time. I now was suddenly with the elderlies that are going leisurely to shopping or the mums that haven't slept for two years with their toddlers, and they are now in front of me. It was mayhem. It was hell. And But because uh, there must have been nearly five accidents, which other people uh, did stupid things, and that is in a seven or ten-minute drive. You think, come on. I was fuming. I was fuming. But I I found myself fuming. I looked at myself and I thought, wow, A, is that really the way you want to be? Actually, for the moment I decided yes, and I did a mighty loud scream um, and said, okay. Got that out of the system now <laughs> and now let's think and then i use coping mechanisms in a similar way as your mnemonic there and it was good by the time i reached work two minutes later my anger was gone completely gone stepped out of the car and i looked at the the clouds and the sunshine and i thought wow that's a good day mm. so two minutes from angry i could rip someone's head off to Nice and serene, truly calm, not just not just somehow pretending to be. So that is practice. That is the mindfulness, the stepping out of your your head. And if you if you go to meetings such as yours, that is where you can practice that. Because the way I understand smart meetings, it's yeah. exactly that's what you do. You take examples. I mean, why don't you talk us through a meeting? How it would sure. be if someone now finally admits shit, I need help, and sort of is or someone drags him along <laughs> to your meeting. What would happen? Yeah. So the meaning structure
1: starts is, for example, I would do an opening statement and how smart recovery is and, and, and other rules and, and basis. Then we would do an opening statement. For, so everybody would go around the room and share their name and what brought them to smart recovery. And then, how, are the, how was their last seven days? So, what emotional upsets did you have? Any triggers? Um, did you have a relapse or a slip going on? And then, what we would do once we've gone around the room then we would do called a crosstalk and so i would for, ex- for example the facilitator would pinpoint somebody has something going on so then i would go back to that person and then we would talk more about that and then i would do some motivational interviewing i would ask him so what was the event what was the what was the emotional feeling you felt uh, what was the reason you went to the down to the liquor store then i would last the whole group cuz this is a, a group sharing exercise mm. as we call crosstalk and then i would ask everybody what are you using what tool are you using mm. to really help that individual through his process mm. and it works as i step away mm. and if i need to step in and and do a tool and i would do a tool as the meeting progressed and as we were talking mm. instead of just teaching so then it would, it would all work as like a magical wheel, uh, like a machine, like an engine, mm. just all of a sudden and everybody would share mm. or a few people would share. And then all of a sudden mm. he's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm. And then, then when we do that, we've done a couple people with a crosstalk because it's an hour and a half event mm. or a, a meeting. Then I would do an actual full education on one of the, one of the tools. Mm. So I would pull out the handbook Or now everything's online, so not everybody has a handbook. And then I would pull, I would actually go to the, uh, to the website or I'd have all the information on my computer and then I would pull a tool up. Then I would do a tool. And then once I've done the tool, then I would ask questions. Hmm. So what, what, what moment in your life that you can use those tools Hmm. what would be the best situation that you can use those tools? If you had a trigger, if you had an emotional upset, and then so I didn't, and then what we'd do once we've gone through the tool, then we would do a closing. And then I would ask everybody, "How was the meeting? And what are you going to do for your sobriety in the next seven days?"
0: <laughs> Good,
1: brilliant. And then I would and then I would do some gratitude, um, and then we would close
0: the meeting. Yeah. That would be it. Beautiful. Well, that, and and what were the key words there? So it's all about about sharing, communication, a big thing, about. Giving hope and showing how they can achieve a new level of awareness or a new learn how to use a new tool or use a tool that they know, maybe in a different setting. So it's all about adapting those tools to different life circumstances that mean something to you. Because sometimes it's, it's hard. We are all living different lives. We all come from different backgrounds. And whilst the stresses might be very different in different lives, it's amazing how a small repertoire of really good, handy tools can make so much difference. I find that a beautiful, beautiful thing nowadays. Do we get it right, guys, all the time? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you just have to say, okay, today was not a good day. End of the story. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's okay to just want to lie down and, and feel like crying. And that's, that's absolutely good because not every day can be superb and, and fantastic. No, it is not. But if you But the more you learn tools, the more you you immerse yourself in that, the more the the severe you get. And whilst you might not click in a particular situation to a certain tool, you might actually you might remember something from step so and so from that programme. Or you might have heard a story somewhere on Instagram or in, in, in a Facebook group that you, you have joined about something else where someone else dealt with a scenario that is now similar to yours. So it's so important to, to actually be open to the possibility that there are actually many ways how to skin a cat and that life will have challenges left, right and center waiting for you okay <laughs> and there's the little alcohol and the drugs saying oh look 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 such a bad day come on you've deserved that drink so what do you do what do you do <laughs> and no. uh, sorry how many times do you get uh, do you still have cravings do you still have good no waves
1: no no, no uh, like my my wife still drinks so mm-hmm. she drinks once in a while but not like once in a month, maybe sometimes yeah. so there is still you know still beer in the fridge sometimes mm-hmm. or there's um, I look at it, and then split second, but nothing, no mm. strong urge. Mm. My uh, habitual habit, uh, I've really it's 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 pretty much I would say ninety nine point nine percent gone because one hundred percent still is it mm. it's still there mm. because it it it's that lizard brain or whatever mm. it may be it's still it's still a trigger, mm. uh, but it doesn't last very long a very short amount of time. Indeed. And like you said, not every life is positive bed of roses. That's literally impossible BS, um, just not real. And, mm-hmm. and we, we have ups and downs. We have the roller coaster. It just happens to be that way. So, but being mindful, being mindful that we do have that situation in our lives, that we can change it. Isn't it, have the tools.
0: And if you have the tools and you have learned how to to press the stop button for a moment, the pause button, and actually just step back from the situation, you might find ways how to extricate yourself out of a scenario that otherwise would have spiraled out of control. And due to, you know, just sometimes very quickly the spiral goes nuts. And by you learning how to press that pause button, I mean, I always say that example now with my wife, it's very, very hard for my wife and me to fight nowadays because we have learned to press the pause button. We have learned to ask, whoa, where's that coming from? Are you okay? Shall we, shall we, you know, what shall I do? How can I help you kind of a thing? And she might just say, oh, leave me alone for crying out loud. And which means she actually needs solitude and literally needs to be left alone. That doesn't mean now that I'm hurt or so. I just say, sure, sure. I bug her off for five minutes. And (laughs) then she might come down and say, look, I'm really sorry. I today feel really ratty. I have no idea why, um, but it is what it is. Then we give each other a hug and that was it. Yes, it was 10 years ago. Arr, how dare you speak to me like that? I demand respect. I bring the money in. <laughs> oh, God, you know, but oh, that, so- is, that is that is life. So, yeah. guys, guys, just, you know, if you have a chance to actually go to a meeting to Smart Recovery, why not check it out? Doesn't matter that in the past you've been to 12 Steps or something else, if you have got the opportunity, Go for it, and yep. nowadays, I mean, many of the meetings are on Zoom, and Smart Recovery is pretty much the same, isn't
1: it? Yep, absolutely. And, and Smart Recovery is in Australia; mm. it's really dived right into Australia, mm. uh, England. Uh, it's now in Pakistan. It's in it's it's international. It's, Beautiful. Um, it's big in England. Uh, You know, so it's starting to mass produce around Mm. all around uh, the world. Uh, The books have been translated into, I think, 12 or 13 different languages. And so it's really starting to grow. Mm. And it's very funny you say that about um, having those arguments with your wife. And and I'm going to share is no matter what, always ask your wife, tell me more about your feelings Or, or say, is there anything that. I can share about what I'm feeling I'm telling you everyone is really get over the fear of sharing the truth about your feelings because I'm telling you it it'll transform your life
0: absolutely isn't it yeah. it is yeah. uh, and sometimes to just actually instead of being angry uh, say look what you have just said that is how it made me feel because of X Y and Z and the, the amount of times she turned around and said, What? I, I never intended that. That's not what I said. I said, Well, that's how I understood it. Oh, no. And, you know, in the past, it would have been Third World War. But now that we actually said, Oh, it was a simple misunderstanding. Um, oh, yeah. And it's such a simple thing to do. But you need to, to show that, that the mixture of balls, backbone, and humility. Actually put them together and actually become, <laughs> become like, like a guy who, uh, a previous guest, Nick Bockner, his title of his, uh, sh- uh, his appearance on my show was to bring a tissue to a gunfight, <laughs> to actually share your emotions, to actually be open and say, hey, look, you've just hurt me with what you said. Instead of going angry and shooting and and, and it's great. It's uh, so <laughs> I think guys, if you're and girls, please. This is not a guy-only kind of thing here, okay? Let's get That's quite funny. clear. And yep. if you don't, if you're non-binary, even the better, okay? Yep. This is for all of us. So we are human beings and we have got some really screwed up pathways up there. And unless you do the work and unless you actually listen to someone like Stefan or the other Stefan, then uh, (laughs) you struggle. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, Stefan, tell us more. How can we find you? How can people learn more about Smart Recovery and about your your great things that you're doing out there?
1: Sure. So uh, with Smart Recovery, um, there's meeting locators. So you can find a meeting online for example so you would go to smart recovery smart and pull up the website it's all front page so very very simple and they also have and i'd love to share this they also have a online online that's actually you would log in so you log it's a private account you create and it's a very safe online platform as well this is uh, as well as public ones so my meetings you would go to smartrecovery.org go to the search find meetings and type in the location for example mine is white rock british columbia canada and then you would find my meetings i have three meetings a week that i do i do a monday i do a wednesday and i do a saturday morning event so then i put these on and there's meetings all around um you know there's, there's nearly 500 meetings online in north america wow. for smart recovery and that's not including all of uh, australia and in uk and and other other parts of the, the world so but yeah you can find me i have my own i have my own facebook page about about smart recovery It's smart recovery um online online meetings british columbia canada you can find it there uh you can you can search my name my book is called uh, from from um from zero to hero uh why the world picked me <laughs> so that's where you can find uh, exactly. find my book uh yeah so that's that's me in a nutshell there's
0: <laughs> and you guys just have a look down there in the description of the video and in the description of the podcast because i've got all the links in there for your convenience and why not check it out what stops you what what could possibly be negative about you learning some new skill that might change your world forever. Mm. Mm. Think long and hard about that, okay.
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm so grateful that you could spend this whole hour with me. I'm so grateful for you opening up and and sharing sharing your past, but also sharing all this passion and all the the skills that you're learning, and to see mm-hmm. the other Stefan Neff there uh, being a facilitator in smart recovery. is just it still makes me chuckle you. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. <laughs> Stefan, thank you so much. It was an absolute honor to have you on my show.
1: Thank you, Stefan. You know, I, I'm super grateful for you for reaching out to me. It's like I'm 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 speaking to a brother. And it's it's so amazing. So thank you so so much. Exactly. I had a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You guys out there, look after yourself. Uh, I wish you a fantastic weekend. It's Friday when we're recording that here. So look after yourself and make the most out of every second. It's your life. You you determine the ending. You can't do anything about how once upon a time started, but you have the power to change the ending. So write it yourself. Don't let someone else interfere. Look after yourself, guys. Bye.